Looking for more information about the Kentucky Derby? Why not sign up for our In The Money Plus service? You'll get our full Kentucky Derby package, extra podcasts, extra written content, tons of great material, grid picks from all of our key contributors, etc. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus, the place to sign up. Just sign up for plus for one month and get our full Kentucky Derby package. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, April 18th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again and joined by uh, one of our main uh, co-hosts, analysts, whatever you want to call him, who hail from uh, the planet Texas, and he has the hat to prove it. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my friend, after a weekend in Las Vegas with you. Uh, Good to to have done it. I I, I admit I'm, I'm going to the Space City hat today because... I left my regular Astros hat in Pat Cummings' closet of Uh-oh. his guest bedroom. So I'm and very he's a, worried he's that a it's... a Philly fan, so he may have some nefarious designs on I'm that. I'm very Astros. worried that it's already been destroyed. <laughs> I How think was... they... <laughs> he might do that. And, and and if not him, Juliana, she's a tough cookie. I'll um... tell you what, and she became a Phillies fan really quick. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they probably burned that thing in effigy last night, and I've not been told yet. But it did. This was uh, the reception was a little bit warmer than when I arrived there, Breeders' Cup week last year during the World Series, <laughs> for them to open up the front door with their Phillies jerseys on. <laughs> Tell me about the visit to TaylorMade on, uh, on Sunday that Philip Shelton was able to pull out of a hat. Oh, it was great. Big thanks to Philip, and thank you for, uh, for helping get it arranged. We got there around noontime. So the stallions were in between sessions for the most part. We spent a good amount of time with Instagram, who is a, a really beautiful son of into mischief that of course was a fast two-year-old and his career kind of went a couple of different directions, but there was been a, there was a really good reception for him um, in his first two crops, according to what Philip was telling us. Beautiful horse. He's, he's a beautiful horse. He looks like a quarter horse. Very, very big, very robust. Um, you know, even my unskilled eye could kind of see that we saw not this time he was out in the field for the most part. And uh, Philip was kind of explaining the ins and outs of, of his progeny and how he's just a very good looking horse and, and throws a very good looking horse. So tried to see Tacitus, but, uh, wasn't the first time he disappointed me in staying in his stall <laughs> with the, uh, with the door shut. So he, we, there was no, no viewing him, but uh, we saw Nick's go from afar. So yeah, it was a great little visit, went around and saw a lot of the, uh, the newly born foals and some of the horses that were actually in the yearling complex. And uh, we actually saw the horse wasn't in the, in the, uh, the pen or in the the stall. Uh, He was out, but Serengeti Empress's first foal is at, who I believe is an into mischief also is at Taylor made. So it's very, very cool. And I hadn't been to a farm now in some years, but it was, it was great. I think you probably made a good parenting slash husbanding decision to take the girls around to see like the babies and, and the stallions as opposed to treating them to a live cover. Oh my God. They, I, we had that conversation on the way over. I said, there will be no viewing of a live cover. And, uh, but of course, I mean, every foal running around, my daughter was like a baby, a baby <laughs> horse, a baby horse. And so we walked up and, and went to the fence and saw a couple of them up close. And, oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I didn't realize the presence of the Aaron and Marie Jones horses at, uh, at uh, TaylorMade. So that was c- kind of cool and 
obviously an owner that was particularly big, you know, when I was coming of age as a racing fan. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, anybody out there who can get to a, a farm the next time you're in Lexington, I mean, I've been, you've probably been to just, just about all of them. And I've been to Claiborne, Windstar, Darley, Ashford, Taylor made now. I mean, I'm getting up there. Yeah, it's great. I highly recommend it. Horse country. That's a great resource, yeah, not traditional a partner of ours, but they, they do a lot of great stuff and you can, you can book your visits. And every time I go to Lexington, I like it more and more, especially now that I found my home, I'll put in one more plug for the Griffin gate Marriott, which was just a great central place to stay. But we are here to eventually recap the racing of last weekend. But before we get to that, we want to get to the latest Kentucky Derby news. These two topics tie in in that the result of the Lexington stakes, I imagine, will yield us another Kentucky Derby starter in disarm, who at the very least has now enough points to qualify should they want to go based on that third place finish. We'll get to the the winner and the second a little bit later in the show. But let's start off with the uh, disarm and this run in the in the Lexington. I mean, uh, this horse, he's interesting in how still lightly raced he is. I suppose it's not unfair to say I wish I would have seen a little bit more if he was going to be a serious contender for a race like the Derby. Do you think he'll go? What do you think is next for this horse? I mean, it sounds at this point like all systems go. They were looking to get, I guess, pretty much what they did, which was an in-the-money finish. That was what was going to be necessary points wise. Um, you know, I, th I think there's some attention that has to be paid to the whole notion that if you're in a position where you need to get points three weeks out, you're probably not in a position to run anyway. This is a horse. I think that maybe there's a little bit more of an excuse for, because he was highly regarded coming into 2023 and just got going slowly and really didn't make an allowance race until February. So he didn't have an opportunity to run integrated stake until the Louisiana Derby. I mean, I think it would, it would suffice to say this was hardly a compelling performance, right? I mean, it wasn't exactly, if it was a, you know, if it was a way to, to make the cut, you kind of needed to drain a 20 foot par putt on 18 to, to make the cut, you know, you're in for the weekend, but you're not really in a contending spot. Uh, but with that said, I mean, trying to look at the whole picture, Steve Asimson's horses don't run well at Keeneland, right? I mean, they just don't. Have any idea what that's about? Winningest trainer of all time in North America wins everywhere. They seem to run two to three legs slow at Keeneland. I mean, the guy might win races at 30 different tracks this year, right? But he just, he just, his horses do not perform well at Keeneland. And I'll tell you what was one of the more kind of striking performances over the weekend. And he had a horse run second on Saturday that was really well bet. A newly turned three-year-old was coming off a bit of a layoff named Zeitlos for Stone Street. Horse ran well. Then he had another really heavily backed three-year-old on Sunday that had been working with Zeitlos. And that horse barely got a call, you know, and, and these are horses that when you see them at Saratoga and when you see them at Churchill, you see those types, they run big, you know, so they just don't, they don't perform well at, uh, at Keeneland. So maybe, you know, it could be that, that he let Jose Ortiz know, you know, don't bottom this horse out, let him try and make a run and get into position. And he was beaten, I think about five plus lengths all in all. So He'll go. I don't know how much he'll factor into it, though. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you want to give credit, you say, oh, they weren't they weren't trying to win. But here's the problem. Just visually watching the race, he looked like he was outpaced early and outpaced late. Like yeah. he didn't it didn't look like, you know, he didn't cross the line with a double handful. You know what I mean? It's uh, <laughs> not sure what the ethics of that would be anyway in a paramutual sport. But it uh, it didn't. It didn't look like, oh, just a prep. We're going to be so much better in three weeks' time. To me, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the negative view. But that is an interesting 
it's an interesting theory if you wanted to build the positive case that you're just going to see a horse that's completely different sauce at uh, at another track. What does Disarms Run mean for the rest of the points list? We can do a little bit of a Kentucky Derby. Maybe I'll even call that the show, Kentucky Derby Bubble Watch. What uh, what, what what are we looking at now? Who's on the outside looking in? So as of right now, we uh, we have the the top twenty starting with Forte going down to Continuar, who is an auto invite. Um, so that is that put those points put Disarm at eighteenth. Uh, so he looks like he is safely in. There would uh, I mean he is safely in and barring any kind of issue. Um, the the horses that are bubble types in terms of whether they might go. There's been a little chatter on Blazing Sevens. There's been a little chatter on Sun Thunder. But as of right now, it looks like both of them are are planning to go. We've not gotten a rider assignment on Blazing Sevens. And the fact that Joel Rosario committed to disarm, I think maybe makes you a little bit less certain on uh, on Blazing Sevens going. Right. So obviously the connections of Jace's Road are pulling for, for Blazing Sevens to not participate. That would get him back into the mix. And quite honestly, Pete, I mean, there's about three speed horses in this race at most, one of which is Jace's road. Yeah. So if he doesn't go, I mean, this is, is it possible a 20 horse race can have a slow pace because there's just not very much speed in here. So that that's where it leaves us right now. It has some ingredients to, 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 to do that. So to me, one of horses we've talked about so far on these airwaves, I mean, does Mandarin hero have any shot at all of getting in this race? I would put it as very unlikely right now. I mean, he is going to need three defections, and I say three because there are four horses ahead of him, but it looked like Todd Pletcher was making it pretty clear Major Dude is not a derby contender. Okay. So that would put him at 24th, theoretically. He would need uh, he would need three defections to have a shot to get in. He could get on the AE list with two defections. Um, obviously, the horses in front of him, Jace's Road, Skinner, and Cyclone Mischief, they're all going to go if given the opportunity. I, Cyclone Mischief, certainly. So, um, yeah, they, I know another horse that there had been a little bit of chatter about whether he was going to go or not race, Kane. He has now been given a rider assignment of Javier Castellano, so it looks as if he's going. And you have a number of horses like Wild on Ice and and uh, Sun Thunder verifying that are going to be big long shots, but it looks like at this point their uh, their connections are going to go ahead and take the plunge. Blazing Sevens is an interesting one because this is a horse that I had originally assumed, based on trainer behavior in the past, that they might be very happy to to wait and either go um, to another longer race down the line or or potentially cut back. But looking at it more and more, this is an ownership group that if I were them. I would probably want to go in the Kentucky Derby with a horse with the with the resume that Blazing Sevens has. I mean, it's a, a big, a huge owner. You, you know, you you think of maybe being able to 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 get back, and hey, a smaller owner can can get back too. But it just feels like the chances increase of a, a smaller operation wanting to have that that experience that's got to be worth more than money for a horse owner of doing that walk over and going and bringing your grade one winning two-year-old with any kind of chance, especially in a year after we saw a 200 to one shot win. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about blazing sevens turning up at this point and may, that being bad news for some of these bubble horses. What, what do you think? Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, I think coming off a, a massive long shot winning and everybody thinking, you know, the race is up for grabs this year, because if you find the slightest knock on Forte, they're all pretty evenly matched after that. So I think anybody that's in position will go. Uh, last year was a pretty remarkable 
uh, season in terms of there being very few horses that didn't make it in the final few weeks, they pretty much all ended up going. So um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it looks right now as if those connections right there on the bubble are going to need some, they're going to need some help. There was that shakeup, of course, late on on the AEs, allowing Rich Strike to sneak in, who I did, uh, what was it, about 10 hours of derby content and had one line on the horse. We're not going to, well, I'm not even risking that again. Every AE is getting their own Monster Pod uh, entry for sure. We can't, uh, we can't have, uh, we can't have that happen again, even if it's just a couple of minutes. Um Looking- I'll ask you a question, uh, you know, something that I think is is worthy of, of a little bit of chatter about. So if you went back to the old style of points and 50, the runner up from the final preps all got 50, you would replace horses like Blazing Sevens and Reincarnate with horses like Mandarin Hero and... Um, I mean, Hit Show is already in probably, so he's not quite the the best example. But yeah, you you would have things like that. I guess the question becomes, should finishing second in one of the final preps essentially be a guarantee that you get into the field? I see a logic for it, honestly. I mean, and you know, I was ignorant about this. I didn't even realize the 50. I didn't realize the effect that this 50 going to 40 was having when somebody at Keeneland asked me about the new Derby point system. I thought they were talking about, you know, the way we'd done it for the last 10 years. years. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it was from last year to this. I mean, I have to say Mandarin hero. I mean, this is a horse that, you know, was right there with a, with a runner in practical move. That's going to be 10 to one in the race. I, I have no problem with with that uh, with that argument. I guess the the new system was it designed to try to make horses run in an extra time? What do we think? What do we think the logic was? And and then I'll make you answer your own question. But I, but I have to say, just on the face, I I'd really like to see Mandarin Hero run. Yeah, I it was definitely done to make you have to run multiple times. Um, it was it was done with the idea that you know oh if you take the well, I guess it would have been the charge it route, right? I mean, if you were charge it ran in one prep, finished second and got into the Derby. And I don't know if he's the, the best example because I mean, it's kind of the worst example. He was a horse that was slow to develop. Um, so he was probably only going to run once anyway, but in a year like this, his second place finish would not have been good enough to get into the field. So I get it. I understand what Churchill is trying to do. I also don't know if, you know, Ray's Kane has 64 points right now. He got 50 for winning the Gotham. Is winning the Gotham worth significantly more than running second in the Santa Anita Derby? It's not true. really. It's you true. know, and, and I almost wonder if the Gotham should be downgraded to be one of those early season races where the winner doesn't necessarily get automatic entry because in all likelihood, the Gotham winner is just not going to be a major contender in the race. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're the other, the other question for Churchill Downs Incorporated is you know, you sort of make your own rules, right? So you can do whatever you want. Are there races that are run at your tracks that you want to designate as win your ins? Yeah. Do you want to say, do you want to say, Oh, the Kentucky jockey club winner is, is, is in automatically because the Kentucky jockey club winner is going to be on the sideline this year, right? The Iroquois winner. I don't remember who the Iroquois winner is, but I mean, it is the Iroquois race where you want to make it a win in your end, you know, to encourage participation amongst two-year-olds. I feel like you're better off from what we've seen about these horses and their ability to train on. I really don't have a problem making that last round of preps, not necessarily wildly important, but just as important as it was. I don't, I don't see what, I don't see what you're trying to prevent. You know, I mean, I love the idea of trying to encourage Japan to send a horse to the Santa Anita Derby. I just think it's 
I think it's interesting. And I, and I love the idea, you know, so is charge it an example of a horse that would got in last year, wouldn't get in this year. To me, he was a super interesting, you know, didn't work out, but he was a super interesting runner in the race. You know, I, I'm going to verify it right now, but I mean, to my knowledge, he ran second in the, in the Florida Derby. And that was his only greatest stake try last year. So yeah, I mean, he went from a maiden race to the Florida Derby. He finished second in the Florida Derby and then went to the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, man, so I, yeah, I, he's I'm one that sure. would have been excluded. We should talk to somebody. I'm not sure what it is they're trying to to prevent. I mean, uh, 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 I just don't have a problem with a maiden winner who runs big in that race coming on. It seems kind of in line with the way horses are trained these days. Maybe they, for some reason, are trying to avoid that. I don't exactly get it. It's a hot topic to pick up on. Let's do a little bit of Kentucky Derby market watch. We've had a few interesting things happen. Angel of Empire has shortened up at the sharpest book now down to eight to one. Perhaps that has to do with the jockey assignment, or perhaps it just has to do with people becoming more enamored of, of that tape, uh, the, as we've talked about on, on shows past. I mean, I definitely think, I feel like we're getting into just the price territory at, at eight to one, as whereas the 10 to one was a little bit more appealing. Where do you stand with Angel of Empire eight to one? Uh, yeah, I think his workout the other day, I guess to many eyes looked pretty solid. Um, getting Flavian Pratt, which I, I mean, I just assumed Flavian Pratt was going to ride him the whole time, uh, was, I guess, you know, to some was a little bit of a bonus. I do think he has that. We've discussed it. I've mentioned it before that proverbial leader in the clubhouse type of element, because it was an effort that the more we watched preps, we realized, well, Angel of Empire actually looked pretty good. So yeah, you know, I don't blame anybody. I think eight is getting a little short. Um, that's not really very appealing to me. That's, that's a little bit less than I would want to take. Um, but at the same time, I mean, here's a horse that's moving forward that seems to have a, a, a running style that's not terrible for the Derby. It's not ideal, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't preclude him from being able to win by any means. So, yeah, there's there's plenty to like about him. I don't blame anybody in this crop for taking him at, you know, maybe 12 ish. Um, H just getting a little little too light for me. Derma Sotagake shortening up again, 10 to 1 now, the best price available. And I'm of two minds on this, Nick. Part of me is thinking the price is gone, you know, et cetera. But then part of me just looks at this pace situation and says, you know what? He's going to be shorter than 10 on the day. Like this horse, I don't think he'll pass Tappet Trice in the market. But he could get, those two could be close. And I don't know. My gut just tells me he's going to be shorter than Angel of Empire on the day. Maybe not. But it really comes down to this uh, the speed conversation. Matt Bernier and I did a whole video, and you can check this out on the YouTube channel, going over the Kentucky Derby pace. Um, and it seems pretty clear to me that if Lamar wants to lead, it's his. I mean, barring like the one draw or the 20, there's not going to be much in his way. You know, I was talking, to, I remember who it was that I was speaking with over the weekend, and they said, well, maybe reincarnate is the horse that could show a great deal of speed in an effort to, you know, to throw a wrench into all of it. And I could see that. I could see Johnny Velasquez maybe being aggressive, but I could also see Johnny being perfectly comfortable to take that outside pressing type of, of opportunity that, that he might get on a horse that really, you know, has kind of gone the wrong way. And, and Johnny's going to ride him like a 30 to one shot or so. Um, yeah. I mean, it's looking, you know, the price, the, the, the value conversation is subjective, you know, in this whole thing about fair odds and, and this and that, that's still somebody's opinion. So it's, if you believe that Derma Sotogake has a pace advantage and you feel strongly about his, his 
you know, prospects of winning this race, 10 to one's still a good price. Yeah. You know, I is it a laying it? <laughs> yeah. Is it a, is it a, a historic underlay? Again, assigning the, the tag of underlay is subjective. You yeah, may I think do. that a horse is, 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 you know, a good price at six and I wouldn't touch him at less than 12. So it's, it's just a, it's that type of conversation. The problem is that, you know, this is like, as far as sports betting goes, this is like you, you're betting on Sunday at 1130 AM Eastern time when kickoff's 90 minutes away and you're getting the worst of the price. So everybody got the better of the price already. You're getting in late. So really at this point to me, to me at this point, if you want to bet Dermasodagake, you're waiting for the actual pool because I still think there's a chance that his unorthodox training style and things like that, as far as Americans are concerned, could drive his price up. And we had our wise guy experts, another video we did on here going deep diving into the, the, uh, the three Japanese potential runners. I mean, Klaus and Michael made strong continue our cases. If that, if that enters the narrative, like it, it's, 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 it's one of the harder horses to guess though. I do feel like, the pace um, narrative is the one that could re and it's more than narrative. The pace reality is the one that could knock that number down closer to closer to six to one on the day. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, I think waiting and seeing just in case one other horse I want to talk to you about, cause he's so divisive um, verifying. Um, and, you know, Matt Bernier took much more of the view that you had on this runner and that I had initially had on this runner about, you know, thinking maybe a doubtful stayer. Sean Borman made a very passionate case for this horse based on the internal sectionals that he had run the last day. And also I think based on the fact that he's one of these horses who could get a perfect trip uh, potentially from the, from the second flight or even on the lead. Has your opinion on verifying evolved at all? Interestingly, market wise at the sharpest book, he stayed the same 16 to one and he shortened in other places as this is an outlier price, but as short as 10 to one in one place. What, what's the latest on verifying from you before we get to some weekend recap? See, this is a horse to me that's going to work this weekend and he's going to look good doing it. He's a very good workhorse. And this is a horse you could see come into 12 or 14 uh, on the day itself, because there's going to be a lot of, of, uh, of appeal to him for a lot of people. I just, I think we've seen his best and I don't think his best is good enough. So, you know, I, I, I do think he's helped by being in a slow paced race where he could get a very nice trip, but he was in a slow paced race where he got a nice trip in the bluegrass and he lost. So, you know, and, and there are horses in there that are, that are just as good as Tappet Trice or at least almost as good. And so you feel like the, like there's a little bit too much for him to overcome. You know, if he was in the twenties, and you wanted to try and twist my arm and tell me, hey, this is a horse you really should include. I could hear it. I also have distance questions, as you alluded to. You know, I just don't know how much he's going to stay. And for an interesting price horse, I think I need more than we're going to get. Forte right now, uh, best price. Uh, there's actually some 11 to 4 around. But the sharpest book, 5 to 2. Tapatrice, 6 to 1. Let's go and talk about that derby prep from the weekend. Neither the winner nor the second place finisher will be, uh, will be coming back um, from the Lexington stakes, but uh, very curious to hear your overview of this race, Nick. You know, I, I thought it was very good. I, I was, uh, I was impressed by the race that first mission ran. Um, you know, there was a little, little moment around the, the uh, quarter pole, which of course is this deep is the five sixteens pole going the mile and 16 to Keeneland where it looked like he was kind of swimming a little bit and Arabian lion had gotten away from him, but um, he's a grinder. 
Um, he's a horse that has speed as well. So I, yeah, he looks very dangerous as far as the, the second and third legs of the triple crown go. They Scott Hazleton asked Brad Cox. I think he asked actually the Godolphin racing manager after the race about the Preakness. And he said they were going to let Brad decide. And, and then word came out Sunday morning that their, their focus now is the Preakness. So I thought that was interesting. I'll tell you the other funny thing about this horse. And this very rarely happens. He has an absolutely useless damn side pedigree. I mean, the, the Godolphin damn sides are usually great, right? You're, you're usually going to find at least one good horse in there. I mean, you have to go back generations to find a good horse in this pedigree. So you know what, now you don't have to anymore because he's the good horse. So I, I think uh, I'm intrigued by him moving forward and, um, I thought that he he handled everything pretty well. Um, there were a few, I guess there was really one no-show performance that you could could maybe highlight, and that was that of of Empire Strikes Fast, um, who you know never really got into a a rhythm of any type. Um, I you know you could you could probably say it was too much too soon going second off the or second out altogether after the big maiden win over Dreamlike, but he was pretty much done around the far turn, so. Yeah, we'll see how, you know, first mission is good enough. I imagine Arabian Lion will probably be cut back. and uh, Crying back. out for the cutback. Crying out. Yeah, crying out for the cutback. Good horse, though. Yeah. And, um, of course, we had to have, you know, some Irad shenanigans <laughs> in the stretch for no reason at all. <laughs> we'll talk about that. The figure came back in 98. But, yeah, I mean, that somebody said to me, it might have been Drew Coatney, if, uh, if Arabian Lion isn't going to get the, the mile in a 16th, under those circumstances, he, he ain't ever going to get it. Cause just visually there was that moment when he's cruising and first missions, you know, coming off the bridle and, and, and starting to dig and find where it looked like Arabian lion was going to win for fun. And despite that Saez making that move uh, down on the inside kept finding an Arabian lion. Went, I mean, he basically went out like a light. I mean, relative to the strong position that he was in. Yeah. I, I, I think there's some truth to that. Um, by being a little harsh, uh, maybe a pinch. You know, they were they were five lengths ahead of everybody else, basically a little over four lengths. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say he went away too tamely. I do think that he was eventually collared by a horse that push comes to shove wants more ground than him. Um, he, you know, he just looks. He gives off the impression of being probably at his most comfortable around a mile, yeah. and and I don't I don't think that's terribly surprising for anybody. You know, with that said. This was a circumstance where when you're isolated on the front end going two turns, you're always going to be at more of an advantage than you are on the front end going a flat mile. So, you know, this was a this was a favorable setup for Arabian Lion. And the fact that First Mission was able to stick close to him and 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 wear him down the way he did, I think says more about First Mission than it does Arabian Lion. For those that question that or want to know what Nick is talking about, I'll I'll guess at what you were saying and you can correct me. The two turns tend to help the speed horses. You're, you're turning more. It enables you to go a little bit slower. The one turn can be a bit more, can be a bit more galloping. You're running more. The turn is wider. You're full effort more, and it can be more tiring as a result. Is that, is that sort of where you were going with that? Exactly. Right. Right. You're, you know, you're, you're not getting into an elongated sprint going two turns. You can very easily get into an elongated sprint going a one turn mile. And, you know, at a place like Churchill Downs that has a decent size run up for the mile, you know, you might get a quarter and 22 and change. You're going to try and wire that field. That's you, you got a lot of work to do. That's some hard running that you're going to do start to finish. And, you know, on Sunday at Keeneland, even with the, the wind affecting the, 
the early fractions a little bit. You saw a horse like Key of Life who was trying to go wire to wire at the seven furlong plus 184 feet of the beard course. And it's hard. You know, it's, it's a long trip to go. Uh, even if you're isolated on the front end. So Arabian Lion had favorable circumstances on Saturday, no doubt about it. The the problem is that this is a horse who got a 97 buyer speed figure in a, in a derby prep. There aren't a lot of those out there, right? Yeah. So your temptation is to say, maybe I'm supposed to see how the derby shakes out and maybe these horses all knock each other's heads in. And maybe I, I go to the Preakness as well and see if maybe this might be the kind of horse that, that can go ahead and, and get the mile in three sixteenths under favorable circumstances. It, it seems unlikely, but not inconceivable. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Baffert, of course, welcome to run there as well, which could be, which could be a factor. And, you know, maybe in terms of a, a pace scenario, that's something that could, uh, that that's something that could, that could work out. Um, very, very interesting. All right, let's talk more about, Keeneland before we move on. I was just actually pulling up quickly the pace line. The pace line puts the lie to, uh, on time form to what I was saying about Arabian Lion. Actually uplined. So I, I don't know. I was thinking cry out for a cutback. Um, the first pace figures I'm looking at say they're both just really good horses. So um, yeah, I mean, it I was, mean, it was a good, I mean, it, it was an atypical dirt race, right? I mean, they finished up the pace was, was on the moderate side, but it wasn't slow. Um, you know, I think this could end up being, this could end up being a very strong uh, race all in all. And and quite honestly, I'm a little pissed off. I didn't take first mission in the, in the draft last week, because I mean, this is a horse I could really see winning the, the Preakness. Yeah, that would have been a good, that would have been a good wise guy pick. Interestingly, also the main track at Keeneland coded towards favoring closers, according to their algorithm. Another reason you might be able to upgrade Arabian Lion and, and think that that's a horse that would have a big shot in a bet like the Preakness. Rumor, I'm talking about things out of school here, but the rumor is there may be a Preakness future wager this year. If that comes to be, we'll have to revisit these conversations for sure. But while we're at Keeneland, let's stay on Let's stay on Saturday. Let's talk about an Italian and this uh, very big win with the 100 buyer speed figure in the Jenny Wiley. As we lose Nick for a second, hopefully he just hit the wrong button and will pop back in. I'll, I'll spitball until he comes back in here in the hope that we don't have to edit. Yeah, there he is. He'll be right back here. But you hit the wrong button. What happened to you? Yeah, I, you know, my, my Mac mouse, I swipe across it to switch browsers and sometimes it goes back. So yes. yeah, it's a piece of no corner. worries. I was just talking about Jenny Wiley, the Jenny Wiley and in Italian's big run hundred buyer speed figure. It was earned under ideal conditions, but I still have to say there was a moment in this race when with the moonlight winds up and is making this like visually arresting move around the turn. And I read still his double handful where I was like, are you going to ride here at some point, my friend? And then he just, I mean, you want to talk about instant acceleration. She, she, quickened in the manner of a, a proper grade one miler at that point so i'm gonna say this was um this was an awesome performance despite having such a good setup how did you see it yeah uh, not any differently really it was it was pretty damn good um she looks uh, just as good now as a as a five-year-old as she did last year um great to have her back and you know you can speed kills on any surface and the fact that she's so quick and can can ration out that speed so well. I mean, this was not much of a challenge, but I'm beginning to fear how much of a challenge she might get in this division. And unless we see 
this was Charlie Appleby doesn't have another older Philly that he's going to send over for these races. And so it was, uh, it was a pretty compelling performance from an Italian who, you know, continues to just to dominate these races in large part. And I know she lost the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf, but still ran a winning race. And yeah, I mean, her, her old stablemate Regal Glory's on the sidelines. She's clearly better than Speak of the Devil. So yeah, I, I wonder, you know, just how much of a challenge exists out there for her because uh, she's gotten to be very, very good and seemed to be impervious to any kind of, of situation that might affect other horses of lesser talent. The interesting thing with her, well, two, the two interesting questions, I suppose, are what happens the next time there's a rabbit? Because we, we, you know, we, we have a feeling that will happen from the Aiden O'Brien challenge at some point. And then with a rabbit and more ground, what's going to happen? Now, as calmly and easily as she made the lead, I have a feeling the answer is they'll let the rabbit go and just run like they're, they're, there's not, they're not in the race. And yeah. you're still going to see very, very good stuff from an Italian but, you know, it is a question that will have to be answered down the line. Yeah, yeah, and it also depends on how aggressively the rabbit is ridden. You know, I'm, there's a there's an argument to be made that you have people who run a rabbit and you have people that, that run a pacemaker. You know, and so I think of, I mean, the, the, the quintessential rabbit for anybody my age was Loach. You remember Loach would, Nick Zito would run Loach for strike the gold. Yep. Loach was going 44 and change no matter what. I mean, he was he was a rabbit. Right. He was going after it and he was going to bottom everybody out because strike the gold needed pace. The horse they ran last year. I mean, she kind of kept in Italian company, but she wasn't exactly in there to gas it too much. Right. Because I think they, they also realized that Tuesday was not going to come from a mile out of it. The situation when you get to the fall, um, especially with regards to the Breeders' Cup, is that now we're going to do a mile and a 16, a mile and a quarter at Santa Anita, which starts down the hill. And Chad Brown has wired this race already. With uh, with the spa, uh, day at the spa, and Italian's a better horse than day at the spa, in in my opinion. So you know we'll see exactly what you know what O'Brien has that time of year. It seems like the majority of Applebee's better horses are Colts. So I you know I don't it, it this division seems like it'll pretty much belong to her. Um, you know she'll go just to game and Diana and probably First Lady and then Breeders' Cup and. You know, and then she'll get sold for a whole hell of a lot of money. Or Peter <laughs> Brand will greet her. So Peter Brand with an excellent choice of uh, of dining establishment Friday night. That's right. We saw dining with poppers like you and I. <laughs> Frank and Dino's. That, that it was it was on good. It was on point uh, in Lexington. It was, on, it was a very good meal. And lots of uh, lots of racing types uh, and contest players alike showing their heads in there. A couple more things about Saturday before we zip back to Friday quickly and get out of here. We can't. Uh, not talk about uh, Clarier and the ginormous run and just super exciting throwdown in the apple blossom. I I, I really really enjoyed it. Um, just you know everything everything you like to see. As Nick once again swipes wrong on the uh, on on the thing and we lose him, but he'll come back here in a minute. One oh two, one oh two was the buyer speed figure for Clarier in that spot, and this was just. I don't know how else to say it. It was just an awesome horse race. It was. Yeah, it was. And so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you did. And you can certainly answer when I'm done with my rambling. But when Secret Oath beat her in March, it didn't feel like that was the way that that matchup is going to go long term. You know, it felt like it felt like if, if you if you're in a seven game series it felt like the home team snuck in a, a game one win 
but you sort of thought, oh, the road team's going to end up getting the best of this series. And now they came back and really, I mean, with no discernible excuse whatsoever, Clarier beats her on the square. And it feels like Secret Oath's best races this year are going to come probably in Kentucky and Arkansas. But boy, I mean, by the time they get to New York, I mean, Clarier's already won the FIPS. You know, she's run well at Saratoga and barring the bad, the personal engine experience last year where something clearly happened, it feels like Clarier is going to continue to get better. And, and, and I think running her as a five-year-old to me, it, it was, it was probably pretty clear. Like we want to make sure that we do everything we need to in this division to win the eclipse and win the Breeders' Cup Distaff and let her leave as one of the more decorated horses. I mean, by that point, she'll be a hall of famer in my opinion. So um, her, her resume will look like a more probably a, a, a similar version to, of Malathot's. So Malathot may be a little bit more decorated, but um, yeah, I think that's, I think that gap has already been bridged basically. I don't disagree, but I will say Secret Oath has impressed me. I mean, even in here, very much so. Attack yeah. that hot pace. This was one I wasn't sure, you know, I really thought had the best of the trips in the Kentucky Oaks, and I was against a lot of times last year. And I mean, boy to just the the kind of efforts she puts in she's just she's just very admirable and probably better than i once thought she was so i'll i'll i'll, I'll add that while not disagreeing that that clarier is is probably a, 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 a more of a cut above than the neck margin suggests but but not that much more and then there's a lasix conversation to be thrown in here too potentially uh there is right they they can run on lasix at uh, oaklawn um, you know, that might be part of why she runs a little bit better. She did run very well in Kentucky, obviously in both the, uh, the Kentucky Oaks and the Breeders' Cup Distaff. I mean, she ran well in the Distaff, you know, as far as this division goes, obviously the, the, you know, the one thing sort of lurking in the shadows is what happens with Nest. Nest apparently is going to, is going to rejoin Todd Pletcher sooner is rejoining Todd Pletcher's barn soon. So obviously she's a long way away from running and we'll probably be looking at Saratoga for her. But, um, I mean, why couldn't she have a, an abbreviated three or four race campaign where, you know, she's up to that level. Nest has never run as well as Clarier has on multiple occasions. And I know that people out there think I'm an idiot for saying stuff like that. I'll die on that Hill, but you know, I want, I'd like to see them in the gate together again. Oh my God. It'd be phenomenal. While we're on Saturday, let's go back to Keeneland just for a quick word. I thought it was a very interesting end of the contest. Holy Christmas did Horse racing podcasters and podcast affiliated people do unbelievably, and I'd like to say it was all in the money media, but we were only we were only half of them because you had a winner associated with uh, Howard Kravitz and the and the the triple his Triple H podcast, Paul Halloran, who's a fantastic guy who I've been talking to about a book project he's working on. He may have overbet the pot in the last, but hey, I I can I can say that all I want. When you, you he ended up with all the spoils with his uh, with his sixty thousand uh, uh, dollar uh, bankroll and uh, and getting the all the attendant money and uh, the Breeders Cup betting challenge. Seat. But I'll say this, you know, I know Drew Coatney, our business manager, maybe had a little bit of a, a chip on his shoulder about being a, a one hit wonder, being the strawberry alarm clock of the contest world. I think it meant a lot to him to get back to, to the scene at Keeneland and to put in what ordinarily would be a winning score. But the podcast affiliated stuff doesn't stop there. Mike Samich, affiliated with the Racing Dudes, been a guest on our show, finishes third. And then Marshall Graham, who, of course, has his own podcast on our network, BCBC champion, finishing fourth. I guess it makes sense for people to listen to this racing content on YouTube and uh, and, and and iTunes, Nick. Present show excluded, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's been a minute since we yeah. took money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I agree. It's it was it was a good run by all those guys. And um obviously hats off to Jim Goodman and Keeneland, who I'm not gonna say nice things about just because they pay me sometimes, but <laughs> because they deserve it and they they treated everybody very well once again. 291 players in the grade one gamble. I told Jim Saturday afternoon, I said, well, your dream of having this as an on-track only contest again is dead because there's yeah. just no way that, that you can give up that amount of handle. I think about a little over 55% of the players were playing remotely. So there was still a great amount of attendance on track and um, which is good. I mean, Jim, you know, Jim can sell Keeneland as an experience. And I think that's plenty appealing for everybody. So yeah, but it was a very aggressive wager by Paul. I had a nice chat with Paul before the races started. He and I had had been on podcasts together and had exchanged texts and emails, but never actually met in person. And he told me about his current project, which is uh, working on a book about Cody's wish. And and so he said, you know, I was in search of a of a publisher and something like that. And I was like, well, did you talk to Pete Fornital? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I've talked to Pete. So I said, well, if there's anything I can do to help. And, and I did share the tale with him that the bluegrass room, some, somebody yelled out as the, as the uh, situation was going on after the race in the bluegrass room on Breeders' Cup day, somebody said, I said, I'm not looking anymore. I'm not about to start crying. And I said, you know, you had this room full of like hardened degenerate horse players that were practically moved to tears as this little boy was, uh, was shown in the winter circle. And I'll tell you what I, I shared, not that we need to get into Cody's wish conversation, but I shared the video of, of the NBC telecast, which really was, uh, was very moving. So hats off to Paul, who's uh, not only an excellent journalist already, but is working on that book. So He'll have to he'll have to put the book writing aside for maybe a few more live money contesting games. Yeah, I would I would think so. I would think so. It was inter it was interesting in the last race. It was sort of a we wouldn't usually talk about this race, but I, but I think it's I think it's worth discussing Tarabi and how I just thought it was an interesting case of the market the market giving signal to the betters and being right, but. She won anyway. Like, and, and you as the morning line maker, we were talking about this a bit off. If I had, if my whole contest strategy had been betting Tarabi to win in the last race, and I saw the way that she was bet, I would have been very, very nervous about it. What I'm trying to say is I think she was extremely cold on the board and I think it would have given me pause. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I wonder how much her price was hurt by, the sizable win bets that were made by contest players. Oh, that's because an interesting point that the contest itself, it was just, she was called from so early. I thought she was just kind of bet wrong throughout the entire thing. Completely yeah. I mean, she was early then bet and then not bet again. And then, you know, bumping up at the end to five to two, a horse that, you know, when you put her at two to one on the morning line, what were you guessing if she was live, you know, information you don't have, but like, if she was live and the barn was psyched about her and every all systems were go, what price would she have been? I, I thought eight to five. Honestly, I, I thought that that class wise, she really stood out. Um, you know, there were there were horses in this race that had credentials um, that were were huge prices. And, you know, for example, Pat Cummings and I had a conversation with Craig Burnick on Friday morning. And he was talking about muted and he said, what price did you make muted on, on Saturday afternoon? And Pat said he made him 30 and he's like, she can't possibly be 30. And I said, right, Craig, I said, you're going to look at the race and you realize she's going to be more like 50. And it's not because muted's a bad horse. That was a tough race, but yeah. you know, Tarabi really stood out on paper. I thought, 
there was an early there was an early odd shift on uh, my Kentucky girl for Jonathan Wong, who was was bet down to eight. I made her ten. I thought eight was short. Um, she was one that I didn't know exactly how the public would handle her because she did have a huge local win over the track. Of course, Wong had a big win on on Friday afternoon that I'm still a little pissed off about. But um, yeah, I thought Tarabi would get bet below that. I do think maybe some of the big win bets in the contest played a little bit of a role in that. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a race where, you know, there were a lot of, obviously there were people that were alive into Tarabi and I didn't really hear about a lot of people making big exacta bets, but I thought the exacta was tremendous value when you consider five to two over 11 to one in a field that size paid 6480, you know, in, in a contest closer that felt like a good payoff. Yeah. And I think you've, you're really on to something that I should have thought about before. And it led to these exactness. I think it'd be a super interesting thing to, um, to, to, to look at these last races in big contests and, and hunt around for some, hunt around for some value. Cause I think there's going to be times where things get so tilted by the amounts of money being bet and the great value in the contest that, and I don't want to go down this tangent, but that even the CAW money isn't going to correct things. And you might be able to just, it might just be about being able to find some overlays. And maybe that's why Tarabi was five to two looking at this on time form. You can really argue she ran very well looking at the, the coded fraction to the, to the quarter and a half. I was originally thinking for her to only win by a neck and get a, you know, 108 raw time form that that represented an underperformance. But this was a performance that was actually upgraded eight points on the time form algorithm based based on attending that fast pace. So I think the but for the, not the first time in this show, I'm going to reverse field on a point I was I was looking to make and, and say that she she ran darn well. And again, remember this was also a, a track that time form had coded as favoring horses to come from off the pace. So maybe the lesson is look at these races on these big contest days because there's a chance to just have a little bit more meat on the bone with all the money being thrown around. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's also important to remember that, I mean, there's a giant segment of the contest playing world that is made up of the the people that are more skilled in the $2 win place formats that just can't get their head around betting three to one shots. Right. And they're, gonna, they're always going to fall on the side of, of the 10, 12, 15 to ones that end up winning, you know, as far as this race goes, and, and I was negligent and not looking at this earlier, but looking at the will pace just now, wasn't five to one on the in Italian Tarabi double actually a lot of value? Massive value, massive value. A one to two shot in, and a two to one shot. Isn't that supposed to pay $4? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's supposed to pay nine at most and it paid 12. So, I mean, if you do raw, uh, what did in Italian paid? Three bucks, or paid, paid a little bit more than that. I was get. I, I mean, in my value, Robbie paid, Robbie paid seven forty six. So I mean, straight parlay. Yeah, it actually paid a little bit less than a parlay, but I don't think that Tarabi. I don't think Tarabi was seven dollars and forty six cents in multis. Yeah, I because, again, I would have said you said eight to five. I would have said seven to five on the standout. Yeah, the yeah. five to two was an incredible. Was an incredible. Well, and I know Paul's double obviously had a huge effect on it, but I yeah, mean, but pushing it down, you know what I mean? Like it should have, it, that should have been an underlay and it was an amazing overlay anyway. I Correct. Yeah. There must've been some other huge double action leveling, leveling things out. Did we find, let me find the in Italian win price just out of curiosity. It was uh, it was $3 and 50 cents. Okay. So 75 cents on the dollar, not one to two, yeah. but I, I would argue that value wise more like one to two. Anyway, really, really interesting. Let's go though. Very quickly to, even if we speed round them, let's talk about the two stakes on Friday at Keeneland. 
Let's start with Love Reigns. I mean, how often do you see a horse checked and stopped in a turf sprint and still go on to win? I just think she's really good. Very interested to see which Ascot target they, they have for Love Reigns. I, I, you know, I thought she looked great on paper because she was going to get a great trip. She got a terrible trip and she still proved the best. Am I overrating this or, or was she that good? No, she was good. I mean, Wesley Ward continues to ruin every wide open turf sprint run in America. <laughs> wide <laughs> open. Just bet yeah, the Ward. Wide open. Wide open is in Wesley Ward. Um, no, she was good. You know, it's kind of funny watching the replay back. And you pointed out to me more of the trouble that she had than I noticed originally watching it. I was actually standing outside of Keeneland. So, I mean, you can't, I didn't have binoculars. You can't see much. Um, but she had a lot of trouble. She had a couple of of, of clear spots where she got into traffic and was shuffled out and, you know, looking at her running lines, I mean, that's just a, a situation she had never found herself in before. So something to be said for, for running into that adversity and still being able to overcome it. This was a situation where she got very well backed at the windows and it does seem like when Wesley's horses get the money, you know, they are, they perform. Uh, I mean, there's a moment at the eighth pole where she gets steadied and, and it looks like there's virtually no way she could get there. Yeah, our saving mate, Lady Holly, we got a huge jump on her. So, you know, how much can a three-year-old filly be dangerous at Ascot? I wouldn't put anything past Wesley. He said King Stand. So, you know, we'll see if, if she performs at that level. Um, I, I imagine that's where – that's what they'll try. And, you know, the 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 Yanks are coming. <laughs> Definitely a race that's better than the bear form suggests. 91 buyer speed figure, in theory, wouldn't have the King Stand runners quaking in their boots but uh but i i have a feeling that uh, love reigns is a bit better than that let's talk about the maker's mark mile which uh there's a, a bunch of different angles we can take i think we'll start actually we won't start with the winner we'll start with the favorite modern games who um you know ran below his usual par and and showed that maybe an Appleby runner starting in April isn't going to be as tight and ready to fire their best shot as an Appleby runner coming over here and racing in June. I, I didn't see the race that way on paper. I thought um, I thought he'd look a lot better. Um, the, thanks to the Keeneland all-turf pick three, which really is my uh, other new favorite bet, um, w- was alive to a nice score to him and just had to sort of sullenly uh, watch Shea Pierre go out there and more or less dictate terms and 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 rock and roll but this doesn't take away from anything for me for modern games i don't think he's lost a step i think he needed the race i agree i i think that we'll we'll see better of modern games down the line um it, it felt like in watching the replay it felt like there's a there's a stretch of time between about the five eighths pole and the three eighths pole where he went from rating comfortably to sort of beginning to get run off his feet. And I think that to me just shows that he was probably not at his very best. And when they quickened up, there's the second quarter was 24 flat, basically. And I think the two front runners got a little bit of a breather, especially Shea Pierre, because Flavian Pratt very astutely allowed Dr. Zemp to go on. And then he maneuvered him back to the outside. And by this point, they had such a head start on everybody else. It was almost as if they had gotten the best of it pace-wise. And modern games just had way too much to do. I thought the encouraging thing from him is that, you know, he could have easily been passed for second, but he dug in gamely and held off up to the mark. Obviously he was no match for the winner. You know, was this the horse that we saw at Woodbine last year and Keeneland? Absolutely not. And so should you be a little worried that maybe that horse doesn't quite exist anymore? You could be a little worried. Yeah. You could be a little concerned. 
Um, I, I'm a little bit surprised that he's being whisked off to, to England right away and that no consideration is being given to another domestic race. That was probably the plan all along, though. And so I imagine we'll see him again down the line. I mean, we might see him on Belmont Day in the poker, right? That's got a big, big purse. Um, he's probably a horse worthy of Ascot, so he'll go there instead. But we'll see him again in America and, you know, he'll make his presence known. But, hey, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about modern games. And that would really be unjust for Chez Pierre, who uh, who is really outstanding. Tremendous effort. Tremendous. And a great ride by Pratt as well. Absolutely had the uh, had, had the run of the race. But some of that was excellent jockey decision and just being a tractable sort. Probably got helped a little bit by Emmanuel not breaking. But, you know, the way he set, let the other speed go, I, I, it's very hard to take anything away from this performance. So by far a career best, massive on time form, comes back 128. So that's like a 108 buyer. And the buyer was big as well at 103. I mean, anyway, you slice it. This is a horse with tactical speed who's not one way, who just really appears to have uh, come into his own. Good training job by Arno Delacour. And just one afterwards, I, I mean – I felt like such an idiot because, you know, I do the podcast in the morning with Michael and he's just like, you know, there's one other scenario I can see. Horse is going to be a big price. Maybe Shea Pierre gets the run of the race. If Modern Games loses, it's not going to be from horse and back. He made all these great cases. I would have had to spend another, I don't know, less than 5% of my bet to cover this scenario. And do I listen? No, I don't listen. But it, 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 So I didn't see it beforehand. But coming out of it, this is a horse that I will not be uh, disrespecting again. No, no, he's going to be well backed wherever he lands. And and I suppose we might see him in a race like the poker. That would make sense. Poker, four-star Dave, you know, those kind of objectives. I hope that, that Arnaud Delacour continues to be aggressive with him because he deserves it. And he's, he's really earned that type of, uh, of set of races. So, I mean, he has now run extremely well in two of his last three against Stakes Company. Obviously, this was much tougher than the field that he beat in last year's Henry Clark. Um, but Leon, let's hope he stays healthy and, and in one piece because he makes makes this division a lot more fun. And uh, you could see a big smile on Flavian Pratt's face as they cross the wire because he knew how well this horse had run. And, you know, that's just we're not seeing it nowadays that much. We need more good horses. So we have yeah, a good absolutely. horse shortage. And I hope that that we get plenty out of him. Good horses and ones that have speed all the better. And, uh, you know, from a from an operation from a, a not always based in the, from a not based in New York operation, I think it helps with some of the politics, too, uh, of maybe uh, getting some truer races in some of these big turf events as the as the spring and the summer go on. We're out of time. I do want to put in another plug for Michael Domable and also Eric Solomon and Eric DeCoster covering everything for us over on in the money and also through inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. If you're new here, you know, you can get our Derby package and with a bonus, the rest of our Keeneland package, all for the price of one month. Go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. Check that out. We're going to have a ton of great content there. Also a ton of stuff for free. We're going to be launching our Derby Week events. We You can buy tickets now both for the Wednesday night event in Lexington. We're like a rock band. We're going on tour. And then the Thursday night event in Louisville. We'll have links up. For, for those as part of our free newsletter in the moneypodcast.com slash email. Or if you have any questions, reach out. You can follow Nick on Twitter at NTAM1215. I'm on Twitter at Looms Boldly. Can't believe we did this whole show without talking about Looms Boldly. Why don't we do 30 seconds on him? You know, with the, the scratch of the other key horse, the assignment became a little bit easier. But hey, it was great to see him uh, show some tenacity. 
Figure came back a little bit low, but it was a strange figure making day. So I'm not too worried about that. Maybe we just get a price uh, in the Mike Lee. Uh, but uh, were, were you impressed with the namesake there? You know, he, he passed the open company test, so can't uh, complain too terribly much about that. I, I don't know really where he is in terms of, of overall ability. Um, he's, he certainly seems to have plenty of speed. I don't know if, uh, if he's simply caught the right groups of horses, but I do think there's a little bit more there. And I know Brad Cox will certainly get that out of him. So it was good, good to see him get the win. And I know you were probably very happy about that. One more horse. I just wanted to mention very quickly. Also Scylla made yes. winner on Saturday afternoon, a full sister of Tacitus, who I mentioned earlier in the show, who was a very impressive debut winner for Bill Mott, hopefully a, an addition to the three-year-old Philly ranks later in the year. Yeah, that's a, that's a good shout to mention, Scylla. And there was that nice maiden winner on uh, – while we're at it, let's mention that nice maiden winner from uh, from Sunday um, in the – in I think it was the sixth race. Saudi Crown. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. That was a – that was a I, I thought visually very good performance. I haven't looked at the figure yet, so I was going to do that real quick unless you have it off the top of your head. The uh, figure for that race was a, a 97. Huh. I'm glad yeah. we talked about it. I'm glad yeah. we talked about it. Timeform came back similar, uh, would equi- equivalent to 96. They downgraded it for the ease of the trip. But, I mean, this was visually arresting stuff from a runner that, uh, you know, I mean, how many of these good three-year-olds is Brad Cox allowed to have? Well, and the funny thing, too, is that our, our mutual friend Jack Jenkins has just been, I mean, he's like a broken record talking about how bad Always Dreaming is as a sire. And, and, as, a, and as a first outsider is what I mean. Um, and so, I mean, here's a horse that was an always dreaming that just, I mean, Florent Giroux basically shook the reins at him at the eighth pole and he exploded. So yeah, this is a horse with a very, very bright future. All right. We are now, uh, officially out of time because we have another guest coming and you gotta stick around for this segment, a new way to bet that I think we're all going to be very interested in. If you're watching on YouTube, it'll be up on YouTube as a separate video about a cut and social betting. So you can Find it in our feed easy enough. If you're listening on the podcast side, you'll hear it right after this. As you know, we're very happy to be partnered with Naira once again this season, covering their races every Saturday, as well as lots of free content that appears on their website under the Picks and Promotions tab, and also on our site as well. Robbie Fazone with Spot Plays, Nick Tamaro every day, all free in the moneypodcast.com. Also, premium hospitality and reserved seats for the Belmont Stakes are on sale now. You can secure your seats today at belmontstakes.com. Next up on the show, very excited to bring in a man I had the pleasure of meeting several years ago talking about this new concept called social betting. Now, it's not just a concept, it's a reality. And I think a lot of you out there in the audience, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening along with the podcast, are going to be interested in this new idea from Cut, K-U-T-T dot com. This is Sim Harmon. Sim, what's going on, man? Pete, what's happening, brother? Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with just the very basic. What is social betting? Yeah, you know what's funny is I used to have this long spiel about social betting, right? You know, this kind of like investor pitch. And then I realized, hey, let's make it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Social betting is friend-to-friend betting. That's what it is in a nutshell. All these bets that you make with your friends on a day-to-day basis, social betting. Handshake bets, group chats, et cetera, et cetera. 
So this is a way to manage that much more efficiently at the first order. And then at the second order that we'll get into next, it's a way to make new friends you might be able to uh, engage in a wager with. 100%. You know, so what we're doing with social betting and what we're doing with cut specifically is we're taking all these social bets that you make on a day-to-day basis, right? And then we're putting them into a fun, interactive, engaging app. So that's twofold. Number one, we take care of the payment side of things so that you don't have to chase down your buddy for money. Right. Um, And then number two, we have a ton of social features. You know, that could be things like leaderboards, chats, groups, um, you know, user profiles, things like that. And so our whole thought is that what we're doing is a bit more fun than your traditional betting. Right. Because it's with your friends, number one. And then number two, it's, it's, it's a lot more interactive than, you know, your traditional sports betting. And somebody might say, well, why not just use Venmo? And I think, you know, I think I know the answer. I think you know the answer, but I'll let you spell yeah. it out. No, that, that's, that, that, that's, one of our, uh, that's one of our favorite counter arguments. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, why, why would I use your app when I could just use Venmo? Um, you know, you, yeah, the answer is you could. You could. But what we're doing is, again, we're taking care of that payment immediately so that you're not having to actually chase the person down. You know, I, I think you know this. Everyone has had that one friend. Right. You know, who are just like, hey, man, you, you just you just owe me 25 bucks. Can you just Venmo me that twenty five dollars? Right. You know, and that could be something as simple as going out to eat, you know, going to dinner with somebody. Um, and so what we said is, you know what, that's just that's a pretty inefficient way of doing it. Um, and so we are actually taking care of the payment side of things. So all bets that we offer are pre-funded bets. You have to put your money up. We hold the money in escrow. And then as soon as the game is over or event is over, uh, we actually pay out automatically within you know call it 10 seconds yeah Yeah, and that's the key the pre-funded you don't have to chase because what happens at the racetrack and i'm sure it's the same with sports betters is and and sometimes this is just honest you forget because you got 16 different things going on and then there's also you know that that friend who just uh you know might might be taking a little bit of an advantage as well (laughs) exactly you know and and the thing is the the reasons are numerous right you know we're i'm I'm not just talking about the the guy who doesn't want to pay I'm talking about two friends sitting at a bar who 10 drinks later have forgotten the details of their bet. You know, this is a six and a half points. Was it seven? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And the other thing I want to point out too about cut is that we're not just um, sports bets, right? This is, this really can be bets on anything that has a verifiable outcome. I think some easy markets to explain to people would be be politics and pop culture. You know, think about a reality TV show that has a winner. Um, Think about elections, you know, things like that. But ultimately, what we want to get to is to a point where we're offering bets on, you know, your kind of friend group bets, right? You know, hey, we've got a gender reveal today. What, <laughs> you know, what's, who wants boy, who wants girl, right? You know, or, who gets or, married which, next? Are we talking exactly, about exactly which, 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 which one of our friends is dumb enough to get engaged next, right? You know, something <laughs> like that. So, um, sports is kind of an, it, it's kind of a, you know, the easy segue into this, but, you know, our goal is to ultimately offer bets on basically anything with a verifiable outcome. Very, very interesting. And potential applications for for horse racing as well. I want to talk about the expanded social features because we're talking about this like something that would only be friend group to friend group. But having spent some time on the app via message boards and getting to know the other people on the app, there's a way, let's say, you know, you want to go bet on the uh, Islanders game on, on, uh, you know, the next time it comes up, that, that you might be able to find a partner to do that. Explain how that piece of the business works. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and, and this this gets back to the, the social side. Right. You know, and, and the thought the thought process here is that you're a fan of like, let's take sports, obviously, for instance, but you're fans of teams. Right. And that team really becomes an extended family. You know, fans of that team become an extended family. I think everyone can agree on that. Right. When you go to a game, there's a lot of bonding that goes on. You know, it's it's sad. You know, they talk about coworkers and fellow fans. You know, those those sometimes are a bit more uh, a bit more close than your real family. And so we're trying to capture that. So in essence, we will create things like fan groups, right? And so within your fan group, you can interact with other fans, um, you know, whether that's in a message board setting, whether that's in a betting setting. In addition to that, we also want to create a little bit of a rivalry component, right? Where let's say, hey, um, you know, you're an Islanders fan and let's say someone else is, you know, a Devils fan or, you know, another, you know, one of the many other hockey teams or baseball teams or basketball teams, whatever, um, and we want to encourage that engagement between fan groups, right? So there's the friend-to-friend component as well as the more public component, which I think is what we're talking about here, um, that allows you to say, hey, you know what? I don't really want to bet my friends anymore. I want to see who else is out there, right? And it's it's the ultimate put your money where your mouth is. And that's our tagline, put your money where your mouth is app in the sense that if you find a fan talking shit to you, okay, cool, <laughs> let's make a bet on it. Instead of just arguing on Twitter, you know. Exactly, exactly. You know, yeah. you you wouldn't, obviously, I think everyone's seen this, right? You know, everyone's got an opinion, especially in, in, the, in the social realm. Um, and, and what we're saying is, okay, hey, you have an opinion, put some money up behind it. And one thing for the general sports better out there that you're going to be very intrigued by is the way that the pricing works. Because not only is it competitive with the wider industry, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real feature, I think, of what uh, cut kutt.com offers explain how that piece works and then we'll get into the the tech more the technical side of things where folks can access it yeah for sure so anyone knows if, if you want to bet on sports you know you have your traditional sports books right you know your fan duels your draft kings even your offshore books and 99.9 percent of those books charge nine to ten percent big right so you see the minus 110 what that means is obviously you have to put up 110 um you know to win 100 obviously horse racing um, has a bit of a different, a different, um, you know, setup, but same concept, right? There's the vig or the juice that you pay entirely too high. I think everyone can agree. It's absolutely bonkers, you know, to, to pay nine to 10% just for the opportunity, the privilege to place a bet. And so what we do on cut is we actually offer a much lower alternative. Uh, it's what we do is we take a 3% transaction fee of the entire transaction, our odds do not actually show VIG in them, you know, so what you'll see is, um, you know, even in opposite money lines, you will see no minus 110s. You'll just see the odds as they are. And then we actually just take the take the transaction fee from the winner. Right? A commission, so you, it's, it's exactly the model that folks watching from overseas will recognize from like a betting exchange. Exactly. That's, that's, that's precisely what we are, you know, at its core, it is a betting exchange, you know, where you just take that small fee and Hey, you know what you pay it. Um, you know, again, it's cheaper than the alternatives. I'll ask this as a, as a, as a tough question, uh, knowing full well, you have an answer. How is this legal? <laughs> right. The million dollar question. Um, so Due to some of the features that I have mentioned thus far and due to several other things that we can get into, if you would like, in great detail, um, we are actually considered to be a game of skill. Um, So skill-based gaming, uh, very similar to a fantasy football operator, due to the fact that, you know, you could argue that, hey, we are competing against someone else in that, you know, peer-to-peer based uh, model. 
uh, we are allowed to operate as a game of skill. Um, that allows us to operate in certain states where traditional sports betting is not legal. Um, and then also, you know, there's some give and take. They can operate in several states where we cannot. But ultimately, 37 states uh, plus D.C. is I mean, what we're going to operate. That's yeah. terrific. Um, and, and again, you know, it's, you know, we, so we have legal counsel, obviously this is not some fly by night operation. You know, I want to, I want to be very clear about that. You know, this is, I think a lot of people, you know, as, as a startup, right. We're still, we're still having to build credibility. And I think a lot of people, when we approach them, they're like, Oh, so you're legal because you're offshore. And it's like, no, we're located here in the U S you know, we're venture backed and um, you know, have, have investors. Uh, we just operate this model that is a bit different than the traditional model. And the 37 states, uh, you know, the, the ones that you tell me, I don't know this off the top of my head, but we, the, most of our listeners are uh, New York, Kentucky, California. Those are the big three for us. And then we have well, people we, in 50 states. So where, where we are, are those three? Yeah, you're going to do some work. I had to pull this up. So um, so we are good to go in those three. So New York, I think, is I think everyone can agree. New York, maybe outside of Nevada, New York, New Jersey. Those are the biggest markets. Um, so we're, we're able to operate in New York able to operate in Kentucky, able to operate in California, some other big states, Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. Um, all of those do not have traditional options. We're allowed to operate there. Um, Pennsylvania as well. We can operate there. Uh, New Jersey is a bit iffy. Um, New Jersey actually has some very weird rules around skill-based gaming and social betting. Uh, and I think if you talk to anyone in the industry, <laughs> they would echo this. You're not allowed to, to bet on certain events in New Jersey. You're not allowed to bet on New Jersey-based teams. For now, we're staying out of New Jersey, um, but we want to incorporate them um, coming up pretty soon. But um, the full list can be found on our website if, uh, if, if someone would like to access that. KUTT.com for that. And that's actually the perfect segue to the user uh, interface and experience. You do have a website and a way to bet on a website, but really this is an app driven product and, and it sounds like the first move for most people is going to be to, to down maybe check out the website but know that the the app is an entirely different experience i would say 100 percent, you know and, and this is our thought kind of when we were building this is is that most people spend a <laughs> i think we would all agree an ordinary amount of time on their phone right and i think that that is is kind of the way of the future especially when you start talking about some of these younger betters is hey how do we place a bet from our phone so, yes, we are predominantly um, and probably preferably mobile based. Um, you can find our app on the App Store if you are or the Apple App Store. If you are an Android user, you can actually go to play, P-L-A-Y dot cut, K-U-T-T dot com. So play dot cut dot com for Android users or, again, Apple App Store, K-U-T-T for Apple users. Um, or you can just go to our website, cut dot com. We have links to both. There. But right. yes, this is this is primarily what we would say. But it's going to be a much better experience if you were to uh, to access one of the app versions on your. We're going to you know, we, we skew young for horse racing, but we probably skew older for social betting. So there will be those that do want to mess around and take a look at the interface that you can access through KUT.com uh, and bet directly. And that is an option as well. Just wanted to underline that. If you're, but I mean, we also have a ton of. I mean, most of our stuff goes through um, Apple. So all those people, okay. that's an easy option there. And uh, we have a promo code and a little bit of, a, of a free money for folks uh, in terms of a deposit bonus. I wanted you to uh, explain about that. Yeah. So uh, so obviously you've been gracious enough to partner with us and, you know, and, and, and help promote. So we're going to use the code in the money. So in the money. Um, 
I think Pete has an actual referral link if you do put that on your socials. Otherwise, when you go through the onboarding process, there's just going to be a little a little box that says referral code. You can type it in manually there. Don't worry about spacing or capitalization or stuff. We, we, we have that all taken care of. We will see that on the back end. We will know who to associate you with. Um, and then once you do that, we're happy to give some deposit bonuses. Um, we can do anything from call it just $10 for a sign up to either 10% of a deposit, right? Um, I'd say what we also do in addition to that is once you do actually get on the app, uh, we actually run weekly giveaways. Uh, you know, hey, if you bet $100 today, we'll give you $10 back. So right. if you use the code in the money, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get you set up. We'll get you going um, and then obviously take care of you um, as, as we continue to, uh, you know, to use the site and to grow. 10% bonus up to a hundred. So you'd be, I would say that the, the wise guy move would be you pop in the thousand, you get your, your free hundred and you, uh, you start working with that money and, you know, we have an opportunity right now with the NBA playoffs and the NHL going on and perhaps some other uh, fun offerings around major events, uh, pop culture, politics, sports, etc. going, going on as well. Tell me a little bit about the community that's been developed so far. I mean, if we were, if one were to go on there, this is a funny way of asking it, but if one were to go on there tonight and let's say there's, um, I don't know, let's just pretend there's 15 baseball games tonight. Is it conceivable to get action on, on any of them? Or is it a little bit more, it's a little bit more limited to like whose fan bases are, are sort of more popular in the, in the chat functions there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and that's a good question. Listen, I'll be very candid with you. So we started, we actually launched the app in November of 2022. So, you know, we're still growing. We have a couple thousand users right now. Obviously not all those people are active. Um, you know, could you get down $10,000 on a, on a Tuesday afternoon baseball game? Probably not, <laughs> you know, probably not. But I would say for the major sports, um, primetime games, whether that be NBA playoffs, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs, um, even most baseball games, quite easy to get down several hundred dollars all the way up to a thousand. Um, That's great. Liquidity, yeah, liquidity is good for, um, I think, our stage right now. Obviously, you know, again, we do have uh, some drawbacks, right? Um, but that will only get better and better as the community continues to grow. Um, what I will say is we also have a couple of, you know, what I call to be, what I consider to be bigger betters. Um, and, and these guys, you know, if, if they see action out there, most of them take it. Because like a lot of betters, a lot of people do it just for the fun, for the action, you know, just to say that they... Um, you know, have some kind of vested interest in a game, right? But ultimately, yeah, liquidity is good. Um, obviously, not where we want it to be. But I would say, if you're betting anything under a thousand dollars, you can you can feel pretty pretty damn good that it's going to be filled. Get in on the get in on the action and put your money where your mouth is. I mean, I love it. I like the fact that you know who you're betting against, right? For sure, for sure. You know, and I think I think that that's one of the the calling cards of cut, right? Is that everyone has a user profile. You know, you can see things like, you know, who who their team, who, who they like in teams, what their records are, what your head to head record against them is. Um, and what that does is it kind of creates a, a, a bit of a kind of a, a competition. Right. You know, and, and, and you could say, hey, I'm betting against this guy. You know, I've actually had several friends reach out to me recently and they say, hey, who's who's user one, two, three, four, five. You know, like who, who is this? Right. You know, I, they, they, they take a lot of my bets and they, they've been winning a lot. I really want to talk to the guy. Right. And I'm like, listen, you know, press, uh, press, press his username that takes to his profile and then chat him up, you know. And, and I think that's really what we're trying to do is, you know, create this community um, of, of betters, like minded betters and, you know, have have that competition aspect because it does 
make things a bit more fun, right? When you know who you're betting against, um, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a user profile, profile picture, right? Um, but the goal ultimately is to start having events, you know, in, 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 in real life meetups. And you could actually see some of these guys and girls um, who you're betting against. So it's very yes, cool. It's, and we'll, we'll talk about that more off air. Your next appearance, I want to do the whole origin story. But for now, I just want to drop the idea that I'm going to be getting involved knowing that we're, we're, we're good to go here in New York. So, you know, you can look for me on there. I'm going to be looking to do a lot of baseball stuff. Um, you know, that that's sort of my main gambling interest outside of horse racing this time of year. But hey, if you you could basically can you send out a challenge? Is, is that is that part of it as well? For sure. So, yes, you can send out a challenge. Um, so obviously you have two main ways to bet right now. So number one is actually you create a bet. You send it to one of your friends um, that shows up in their inbox. So there shows up in their app, you know, or number two, you just post the bet to the community so that someone else could take the other side of it. But I think more what you're talking about is we do have what we call a request a bet feature. And that's actually a button you can press It's on the home page. A form will pop up and you could say, hey, this is the bet that I want to see, that I want to bet on. We see that internally. We create that bet for you. We press a button. It's posted to the app. And then you could basically immediately bet on that if you want That's to. Fun. At, yeah, at so, lower levels, I'll tell you right now, at lower levels, I will be accepting challenge bets from uh, from listeners if, if they involve uh, the teams that I support. I, you know, we're talking uh, Islanders, Nets, e and uh, <laughs> and uh, also, of course, the uh, also, of course, the Islanders. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm throwing that out there to folks if, if they're if they're interested and they see me. I can't remember if I used Looms Boldly as the leader name or PTF. It's going to be one of those. You could you could probably find me pretty easily. We'll we'll report back on this. I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And Sim, we got to have you for a longer visit and talk more about it. But I just wanted to get the idea introduced today. Go to the App Store. Um, or or the Play Store, Cut, K-U-T-T is the app, or just go to cut.com, K-U-T-T.com, and get more information there. Did we did we hit all the notes we wanted to hit? Any closing thoughts? I think, no, I, I think so. I mean, ultimately, guys, I, I, you know, what I would say is I would love if you checked us out. We're not trying to take over your fan duels and your DraftKings immediately. Maybe in the future we, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try to put them out of business. But, you know, I think that this is a fun <laughs> I think this is a fun complimentary product to whatever you're using right now, right? You know, I, I, I think we're very aware that we're not where we want to be. And so for now, all we can ask is that you give us a shot, give us some feedback. Um, I'm reachable anytime. Um, my, my email address is sim, that's S-I-M, at cut.com. You can send me feedback, send me thoughts. You know, we're, we're a small team, so we can we can pretty quickly implement, you know, any, any type of ideas that you have. Um, but yeah, would, would love for everyone just to give us a shot and I uh, look forward to having everyone on the app. Great stuff. If you're listening on the podcast, I'll be back right after this. Wanted to let folks know that Horseshoe Indie season is off and running. Lots of full fields, good betting opportunities. Two pick fives each day with an industry low 11.99% takeout. Also, lots of free contests going on over there. Going to suggest that you check out the Horseshoe Indy website. Also, follow along on Twitter at Racing Rachel M. Rachel does such a great job covering and is a great source of information. And also their house account at HS Indy. Check them out. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank Sim Harmon and Nick Tamaro for their time today. Our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing, 
always love to root for the purple and black, particularly when it's aboard. Homebred looms boldly, also the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Lots of great opportunities to celebrate their 40th anniversary coming up, including two with me at Chestnut Hall Farm. We've got one Tuesday night of Derby Week. That one's going to have a whiskey tasting, pulling some special bottles for that. Another Thursday morning, Bagels and Bloody Marys kind of a vibe. Get to learn about the horses in the TRF herd at Chestnut Hall. And of course, have a little uh, private derby handicapping session, semi-private derby handicapping session with me and whoever from the team is around. That's going to be an absolute blast. trfinc.org slash players to check that one out. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do, especially those of you who've chosen to support us by subscribing to In The Money Plus. If you can't do that and you still want to help, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Those five-star reviews help a lot. And also, over on YouTube, join in the conversation, smash the notifications bell, and uh, subscribe. Let people know how much you enjoy our content, or better yet, tell a friend. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos!